1 Peter chapter 4 today, verse 10 and 11. And uh, this is our fifth week in our series on the church titled His Church. Uh, we're looking at what the scripture has to say about the church, what the church is. Uh, we're having a lot of our past views, American worldviews confronted in the scripture. Uh, and uh, the Lord is conforming us and transforming us to his word and uh, restoring a passion for the church uh, here in our midst. And uh, as it's week five, I really encourage you, if you missed a week or haven't been here, to listen to our series online. As you go to calvarycrookcounty.com, uh, the first thing that'll come up is that picture of a white church that you saw. You can click on that and it'll take you to um, the channel list of all of this series. Uh, basically, uh, everything will just be compiled together in the His Church series. So I encourage you to do that if you've missed one or all of the teachings. Um, we looked in the first couple weeks uh, at what is the church, and we've uh, defined the church and looked at the scriptures. We've looked at the dignity, the value, the honor of the church. We've confronted the idea that the church is a building uh, or something um, that we attend, uh, but rather the churches are the people that are saved, the elect of God throughout all the ages, both gather, gathered and scattered, universal church and local church. And, um, and uh, just uh, a, a great study, one of the first ones that we did, what is the church? Encourage you to uh, listen to that if you weren't here for that. Uh, then we went on uh, looking at uh, the, the obligations that we have as born-again Christians who consider this to be our church. We consider ourselves to be members of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, and we looked at the obligation to gather together, the duty to gather together and be at the regular meetings of the church. Uh, so I encourage you to listen to that teaching, um, and, and one of the reasons that it's necessary to gather together came up last week at, at, as we looked looked at the obligation as born-again Christians who consider this our church, we have an obligation to consider one another and, and, and with uh, in intensity, uh, with calculated object in mind, that we would consider one another uh, and incite one another in order to stir up love and good works. And that necessitates a regular gathering together of um, the people of the church. Uh, and so as we just move on, we continue to ask ourselves, what, what are your obligations to this local body, providing that you are a born-again Christian uh, and that you consider this your church? Uh, and so this week, we just continue on in that theme with um, the obligation to steward the gifts that God has given you. Um, to, to steward the, God, the gifts that God has given you um, also necessitates a coming together. And you can say as much as you want that going to the mountains or to the baseball field or tinkering on your truck is the sanctuary and where you meet God. But I'm here to teach you, uh, and as an elder in this church, that, that it's not. That is not the sanctuary of God. That is not what God has designed to be uh, the only place or the sole place of worship, communion, but he has a, a deep part of community in mind for you. And all the metaphors that we see in the New Testament, some 95 different times, uh, the community, the gathering together, the corporate nature of the church is stressed. And until we break down all of the significant externalism that can build up in our heart or isolationism that we tend to backslide into or disengagement, uh, and we need to look at all that brings us together as brothers and sisters in Christ, then we've never really scratched the surface. And so um, we had an elders meeting this morning at 6 a.m. and we were just talking about, man, we're not t telling you guys this is easy stuff. Um, we've been confronted on it a lot, even in our studying of it and how, Lord, we, we want to measure up to what you have in your word for the church to be. We want to be conformed to what your word says the church uh, is to be. And it's confrontational to us even as pastors and elders. And so we've had repenting to do. And so we know that as you come in here, this isn't easy stuff. Um, but you know, this is, 
This is stuff that uh, we're sensitive to. So if, if you have been struggling at all, or you've really felt confronted in the word, and, and you would just like help walking through this, or accountability, or encouragement, come and talk to us, would you? Um, come and talk to Chad, or Kevin, or myself, uh, or the home group leaders. Talk to Aaron Mapes, and uh, we want to walk through this with you guys. But as we look at the, the intense question, what is your obligation to this local church uh, this week, uh, we look at you are obligated to exercise the gift that God has given you. Uh, you are obligated. It's your duty. It's your responsibility this week to uh, use and exercise the gift or gifts, the gift sets that God has given you. Now, uh, that may come at, at great price to you. That may come at a loss of great comfort to you. There might be a cost to you in that. The story is told that during the French Revolution, there were three on-fire Christians who were going to be sentenced to die, or who were sentenced to die by the guillotine. And one Christian had the gift of faith in his spiritual arsenal. One had the gift of prophecy, and the other had the gift of helps. And so the Christian with the gift of faith was to be executed first. And so he was asked if he wanted a hood to be placed over his head. Uh, he declined and said, I'm not afraid to die. I have faith that God will deliver me, he shouted bravely. And so uh, they set his head down in the trough, and, uh, and the knife didn't come down. The blade didn't come down. And so all of the executioners and, and people in charge said, it's an act of God. Let him go. He had the gift of faith, and God has spoken. Uh, the next man to go up was the man with the gift of prophecy. And, uh, and, and they said, would you like a hood over your head? He said, no, I, I have great faith. And I foresee that God will deliver me from the mouth of the guillotine. He goes down, the knife doesn't drop. And, uh, and so they say, it's an act of God, let him go. And finally, the man with the spiritual gift of helps is brought in. And his head is set down. He refuses the hood. He says, I am as brave as these men. And I believe that God will deliver me. But first, I notice a problem here with your guillotine. And if I could just fix it real quick for you, um, you see, moral of the story would be that using our gifts in the local body can sometimes come at a great cost <clears throat> to ourselves. Okay. Just remember that when you're, when you're wondering, right? So, if you are a Christian... And you're French, okay? Um, and this is the church that God has placed you in. No, this one's not. We're back to serious, okay? You've received a gift, all right? You've received a gift or gifts, a package of gifts perhaps, and you will continue to receive gifts as life goes on, as you continue to walk with the Lord. And within that gift or gift set, they, they are essential to the accomplishment of the purpose that God has plotted out and mapped out for Calvary Chapel of Crook County. And the measure that you act upon these gifts and using these gifts within this church determines the extent to which you experience real joy in your life as a Christian. All right? So God has a gift for you. There's a measure to which you're to use it. And in proportion to how you use it, you will have significant and wonderful joy in your life. Arta Zerdi, a pastor in Portland, says, you can always identify a Christian who serves with great sacrifice. They are marked out with the expression of joy. To the contrary, a joyless Christian, a down Christian, is altogether focused inward. On his or herself. And you can see this a mile away. God wants you to experience joy. A joy that comes in servanthood. John Corson always said the key to joy is Jesus, others, and then yourself. Worshiping the Lord. Serving others. Putting yourself last. Just like Jesus did. And yet we so often are self-absorbed. And it's to the contrary. It's a barrier to authentic Christian joy. Jesus wants, and I want, the elders want you all to experience the joy of self-forgetfulness. 
putting Jesus first, putting others before yourself, serving with the gifts that have been given to you. And the text that we're going to really springboard from this morning is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. And, and I really prayed about how to, how to divide this up. And what we're going to do is we're going to use 1 Peter 4, 10 as kind of a springboard. We're going to walk through it and springboard to subjects that we see dealing with this, uh, jumping off of, using the platform, using the scaffolding of 1 Peter 4.10. Uh, so you'll, you'll have to bear with me a little. You have to keep your finger in 1 Peter 4.10 because we're going to keep coming back to it as we jump off of it, just like a diving board. You jump off and then you come back on just to jump off again. And so as you look at 1 Peter 4.10 through 11, it says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God provides. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Charles Spurgeon's biographer, Arnold Dallimore, tells us something about the congregational life at the Metropolitan Tabernacle there in London. And he writes this. He says, There were very few who came only on Sundays. The tabernacle was a place of almost constant activity. On each of the seven days of the week, the doors were open at 7 a.m. and did not close until 11 at night. There were people coming and going all of the time. Sunday school met in the afternoon. It was a fervent institution with well over a thousand boys and girls in attendance and something like a hundred teachers. On Sunday evenings, the number at the tabernacle uh, of people who were out conducting meetings amounted to at least a thousand. And Spurgeon remarked, the tabernacle was like a hive of bees. And for the vast majority of the people to be a member meant to live a very busy life. And so something that we want to confront in this church series, we want to confront the idea that church is something that we do. All right, it's just something we do on top of everything else that we do in our life. But rather, the church is something that we are. All right, it's something that we are. It's who we be, if you will. Uh, and so, in our day, to look at the Metropolitan Tabernacle and to have this very busy life, it's regarded in a sense as something sinful. As one pastor says, it's something to be looked at with a jaundiced eye. I don't know about that busyness as the church. It's something that's belittled. It's something that's, that's like a plague. And excuses are often made as to why a church would be so active back then, but not now here in Prineville. One man would say to you, if you were to tell him of the busyness at Metropolitan Tabernacle, he would say, balance, man. You got to be balanced, the church has no right to intrude upon the time that you give to your career or your livelihood or your family or your recreational pursuits. And I've been one of those people to speak much of balance. But even when we speak of balance, we want to speak biblically of balance. And there's no balance in our church life. The church is not something we do. The church is who we are. If you're a born again Christian, and if you're a part, if you call yourself a member of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you are Calvary Chapel of Crook County. We are. I've been so correcting myself when I say to my family, we're going to church. <laughs> no, we are the church. And, and we say, we're going to the chapel, you know, we're, we're going to the sanctuary, you know, we're going to the gathering together. And just trying to train myself to quit thinking of the church as a building or as an it. When she's an organism, she's living, she's us, she's the bride of Christ. To the contrary of balance, when you look at the life of Metropolitan Tabernacle, it seems everything but balanced. It seems very New Testament-esque. 
being together, loving each other, serving each other, equipping each other, ministering to each other. And as you look again at 1 Peter 4.10, we'll come back to it a bunch today. It says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If this church will expand, it will require the use of gifts among us that have yet to be put to use. Do you know that you have a gift? You have a gift. God's given you a gift with your name on it. He has willed that you would have it with the intention of building up this church and putting Jesus on display. You have a gift. And over the course of years, God may give you more and more gifts, or he may just determine this is the gift that I want you to use in this church. We want to look real quick and springboard over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is kind of like the spiritual gift passage or section in the New Testament. And it says there in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren... I do not want you to be ignorant. Just real quick, man, we know that wherever Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant in the New Testament, so often where the church is the most ignorant. And if I were to ask you right now, and I've done it before, what's your spiritual gift? People that have been Christians for years, decades, don't know what their spiritual gift is. They're not serving the local body. They're not operating within their gift or gift sets. And, and Paul says it, and we say it as the leadership, we don't want you to be ignorant anymore concerning the spiritual gift that's been given to you. As Peter had just said when we read it, each one has received a gift. Each one has received a gift. And as you jump down to verse 4 in 1 Corinthians 12, there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries. It's the same Lord. There are diversities of activities. It's the same God who works all in all, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So different gifts all over the board. I mean, there are so many different gift sets and gifts for the building up of the church we're going to see and for displaying Christ. I mean, there is no exhaustive list within the Bible on what those are. But each one, this manifestation of the Spirit, that's what gifts are. They are an appearance of the Holy Spirit. When they are being used, it's obvious that the Holy Spirit has shown up and he's working in power. And those manifestations of the Spirit are given to each one, all right? So if you're a Christian, that's you. You've been given a gift, and it's for the profit of all. And then real quick, just a small gift list here in 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to kind of buzz through it. Uh, Some are given the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge. To another, faith. Gifts of healings. Working of miracles. Prophecy. Discerning of spirit. Different kinds of tongues or interpretation of tongues. So, and and as you read into it, it's all by the Holy Spirit. It's by the Spirit that all of these different gifts are given. And then as you look at verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things. Now listen to this. Underline it if you've got a pen. Distributing to each one individually as he wills. How awesome is that, that God himself knows who you are and just how he's made you and just how he knows he wants to use you in the church and how he's going to be most glorified, most magnified, most put on display. And he says, him, her, this is the gift. I'm giving this one that and I will it. Doesn't matter what they will. I will it. I'm going to give them this gift. And so many men and women have missed out because they refuse to willingly and joyfully accept the gifts that God has given them. That God has you in mind. He's given you gifts. And instead, you covet other people's gifts. You think the gift that you've been given is one of obscurity rather than one of prominence or visible, you know, visibility. And that it's somehow less. So you covet other people. Don't get into that. Don't fall into that rigmarole. God knows you. He's created you. He distributes individually the gifts 
as he wills. And so many men have missed out because there's no willingness to accept the gift, to joyfully work within the gifts that God has given. It's God who gives them and determines the place that they occupy within the body. And he gives to each one. We've read that two times so far in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has been given a gift. So right now, your mind should be going, Lord, what are my gifts? Or what's my gift? Lord, show me. Have I been working in it? Have I been using it within this local congregation? When we know that it's the Holy Spirit who who distributes the gifts individually and as he wills, there is no room for arrogance on the part of one person, maybe who has a more visible or prominent gift, a gift that's just always displayed and obvious, maybe a pastor, maybe a worship leader, something like that. There's no room for me to be arrogant because I know it's a gift, just received, nothing of myself. It's grace. Nor is there room for jealousy on the part of another person because the gifts are placed in the body and their measurements have been determined by God in his sovereign providence. It's up to God. So no room for arrogance, no room for covetousness, just open to God using the gifts and distributing the gifts as he wills. As we move on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, we get into this picture of the human body. Now, this is one of the metaphors that is used for what the church is supposed to be. And just a little bit in Ephesians chapter 4, we'll see where there's the body, the head of the body is Christ. All right, And then everybody else in the church is a different part, a different member of the body. And so let's look at this illustration of the body. For as the body is one, yet has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. This speaks of the unity that the Holy Spirit brings, whether they're Jews or Greek, slave or free, all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. All right, so the idea is one, all right, there's unity and yet also distinctness and diversity within that body. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, it's kind of the all-seeing eye on your dollar bill that you have, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them. Who's the one that set it? Who's the one that's distributed it? And sovereignty and providence, who's done it? It's God. God is the one who has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. Verse 19, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, in these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but in presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another." And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ. You are Calvary Chapel of Crook County. And members individually. Jameson Fawcett and Brown back in the 1800s says, three men making one commentary. Uh, Each church is in miniature what the whole aggregate of churches are collectively, the body of Christ. And its individual components are members, every one in his assigned place. As you go on in 1 Corinthians 12, God has appointed these in the church, apostles, 
First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? This is rhetorical. No. Not everybody's going to be an apostle. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Are all preachers? Are all worship leaders? No, not everybody are those things. Do all interpret or all speak in tongues? Verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And so within these gift sets and understanding that God distributes as he wills, there's a level in us that it's okay to earnestly desire and long for gifts. It's okay to see a lack in the church and say, Lord, who's going to raise up? Who are you going to use? Whose gifting can fill that void? Lord, we earnestly desire that gift within our church. Or Lord, if it's me, I earnestly desire that gift. But even then, there's a more excellent way. And we'll get into that in a second. I was reading a story this week of several years ago, two students graduated from the Chicago Kent College of Law. The highest ranking student in the class was a blind man named Overton. And when he received his honor, he insisted that half the credit could go to his friend Kasperzak. Kind of a funny name. They'd met one another in school when the armless man, Kaspersik, uh, had guided the blind man down a flight of stairs. This acquaintance uh, ripened into friendship and a beautiful example of interdependence. The blind man carried the books that the armless man would read aloud in their common study, and thus the individual deficiency of each was compensated for by the other. After they graduated, they planned on starting a law firm together. Just a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, how where we lack, man, we've got the arm. I'm not the arm, but you're the arm. And you're able to use your gift set to help and to build up and to spur us on. I'm not an eye, but you're an eye. In Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 9, as we just kind of look at the end of uh, verse 3 there, Romans 12, 3, it says, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we have many members in one body, but all of the members do not have the same function. Man, just think of your body. And it's just beautiful that Paul uses this as an example. You know, we know that there are thousands of cells. We know that there are so many different organs, you know, necessary for life. We know that there are so many different things necessary to function, to eat, to drink, to uh, you know, maintain ourselves. I mean, so many, the list goes on and on. If you took an anatomy physiology class, you know, in college, you know, you just, you learn that in depth, the thousands and thousands of body parts and functions, but they all don't have the same function. And so as Romans 12 drives home the point, we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us. So we recall again that it's just, it's a gift of God, how he wants to distribute it. But then uh, Paul says, let us use them. Let us use these gifts. And he goes on and he does another little gift list here. Um, not exhaustive, but an idea of some of the gifts. He says, if prophecy then prophesy if you have the gift of ministry or if you teach or if you exhort, spurring one another on, saying, let's do this, guys. If you have the gift of giving, he says, give liberally and freely. You have the gift of leadership, the gift of showing mercy with cheerfulness. Interesting, as you kind of read some of these gift sets, there was a poll that was done a while back where more than one-fifth, 21% of survey respondents claimed to have spiritual gifts that weren't mentioned in the Bible. And so when they were asked, what are your spiritual gifts? They would say, a sense of humor? Maybe. Singing? Maybe. I have the spiritual gift of health, one person said. I have the spiritual gift of life. I'm alive. Spiritual gift of happiness. Spiritual gift of patience. One guy said, I have the spiritual gift of having a job, a house. One man said, I have the spiritual gift of compromise. I'm not sure that's a good thing. One person said, I have the spiritual gift of premonition and clairvoyance or telepathy and ESP. 
Yeah. Creativity, one person said. Now, hopefully a couple red flags went up as I read that extra biblical gift set list. Legitimate gifts are both found in scripture or not forbidden in scripture. All right. So the telepathy, ESP, I'm a medium, you know, I, I'm a psychic. Okay. Well, we can say from the word, like, no, you're in sin. You need to repent. Okay. Um, these gifts will edify the church, will mature the Christian. They will display Christ and they will bring glory to God. And this gift set, all the gifts that God might give you, one or 20, you know, the gifts that God gives you, they're, they're essential. The body will not function effectively without every part doing its share, without every gift being used. And so each person needs to assume his responsibility in the church. One poll was taken where the average church has 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. And I just want you to ask yourself, where are you in that percentage? Are you part of the 20% laboring, using your gift to display Christ, to build other people up, to uh, build up the church, to encourage uh, to refresh people in the race? Or are you the 80% that is take, take, take? It isn't possible for a church to function properly unless, unless each person uh, uses the gift that God has given to them, assuming his or her responsibility or duty that's all privilege. It's just a get-to thing in light of the grace of God and the fact that he even gives gifts in his grace, that makes us want to use gifts. I don't know about you, but Christmas time comes along. I get gifts. I'm like, we are using these things. <laughs> We're using them. You don't have to ask me to use the gifts, nor should we be pressured or forced to use the gifts that God have given us. We need to participate, take our place, add our voice, use our resources, be the members of the family that we're to be. There's not a lot of discussion that has to take place there. You know, in a family, sister needs some gas in her tank so that she can get here. I'm the brother. I've got the resources. Let me help you. I can do, I can do 15 bucks. That'll get you there and back, you know. Not a lot of, like, discussion that has to take place as we love each other, as we realize we are a family. And you are not exempt from this. Maybe you think you have that gift of, obscurity or a lesser gift there's no such thing no such thing as a gift that is more prominent or special they're gifts that god has given by his grace and we thank god and we glory in god in those things god didn't get it wrong when he gave you the gift or gifts that he's given you do you think he got it wrong do you think that you would function better as an eyeball? An eyeball does a horrible job listening on a telephone call. All right? An ear does a horrible job threading a needle. If you can do that with your ear, then we're going to put you on David Letterman, you know, on his most awesome people tricks or whatever that segment is. Don't think that you have that worse gift. God's given you the gift because it's, it's needed. It's special. It's, it helps in the functioning. I want you to ask yourself, am I in the place that God has put me to fulfill the function he has given me? Am I in the place that God has put me to fulfill the function God has given me? And then, you've got to be real, if we have responsibilities, we have gifts, we need to realize our limitations. There's one extreme where some don't want to do anything or use their gifts. And then there's other extremes where some people feel they have to do everything. And both are wrong. Both are out of whack. See the gifts that God has given you and, and function in them. As you see a need within the church, maybe you're, I'm not really sure what my gift is. I can't say, hey, you see a need in the church, go attempt to do it. You'll know right away if you're gifted at it. You can persevere and, and help. You can even earnestly desire, well, now there's this need. I need some spiritual power here, Lord. I need some, some gifting. 
but go and, and see those needs and attempt to do them. And you'll begin to see your gift sets coming out. It's important for you and I to be where God wants us to be, even if it's not where other people expect us to be. As you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are groups, as you look at verse 21, there were groups that said, I don't need you. That's wrong, Paul gets that. But then there's other groups of people like in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 12 that say, I don't belong. Both are wrong. You belong. The old person needs the young person. The prominent person needs the obscure person. You have a gift. 1 Peter 1.10, as each has received a gift, minister it to one another. The Spirit's gifts, literally the gift of grace or gratuity bestowed, they're the common property of the Christian community. They're not just for you. They're the common property of the Christian community. And you are a steward for the edifying of the whole local church. Minister it to one another. So we springboard now to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. Another spiritual gift, purpose of the church passage. In Ephesians 4.11, we read that he, gave him, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In about three weeks, we're going to look at leadership structure of his church. We're going to specifically look at elders, pastors, and what their role is. And spoiler alert, so many people think the elders or pastor's job, especially he or them that are in full-time paid position, their job is the work of the ministry. Wrong. Ephesians chapter 4 says that the pastors and elders are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's an every member ministry here at Calvary Chapel of Crook County and every other church. We, you, she, the church, does the work of the ministry. That's the work of the apostles or the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. We'll look at that in about three weeks. It's for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There's preparation that's taking place. And it's all in light of the gospel. We ought to always come back to that. Remember Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 are just, it shows the wealth of blessings that are given to Christians. How we've been brought out of darkness and alienation and brought near, drawn by the blood of Jesus into relationship. The whole first three chapters are just about the privileges and the wealth of blessings that are given to us in Christ Jesus. And then at the beginning of chapter 4, there's this hinge that then hinges to respond to that. The more practical now, because of the wealth of blessings and privileges, then minister to each other. Chapter 4 of Ephesians. Or chapter 5, then husbands love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Employees, love on your uh, employers and vice versa. But it's all in light of the good news of chapters 1 through 3. As you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you guys all know this one. It's memory verse, right? Uh, by grace, you've been saved. It's, not of, or it's uh, through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So good news, right? You're saved from your sin. You're saved from death. You're saved from hell by grace, by what Jesus has done. Not of yourself, not a work you did, not a number of church services you've attended, not how long you grew up in Sunday school, none of that stuff, lest you boast before God. It's a gift that you would be saved. And then you go on, verse 10 of Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good news, we've been saved by grace. You didn't have to do anything. Just rest in what Jesus has done. Good news. Then you see, from before the foundations of the world, he had you in mind to be a poem, is the, what the Greek, it's poema. His workmanship, his poem, his song that he's writing. You've been created before that you would walk in these good works. Because we've been saved by grace, we've been created to now walk in good works, responding to grace, ministering to one another. And who knows if you would be just like in the book of Esther, where Mordecai speaks to Esther and says, it could be said of you, maybe even for you today, surely you have been brought here for such a time as this. What purpose was given to Esther there when Mordecai spoke those words into her life? I believe they're similar for you today. A word for you is maybe you've been brought here to Prineville. Why are you in Prineville? God sovereignly has brought you here. Why are you at Calvary Chapel of Crook County? Why are you here during the church series? Maybe God has something really incredibly special for you. And you're being equipped to walk in it during this series. And he brought you here to say, hey, I have given you and I'm going to give you gifts Walk in them. I've got a poem written about what you're going to do. It's going to bring him much glory. Man, when you think about that, if you think of every person in, I don't know, maybe I'm being generous, but I don't know, maybe we have 200 people that would call themselves members of this church. I don't know, 110, I don't know, whatever. You know, if every one of those people said, I'm in it. I'm in it, man. I'm going to use my gifts that God's given me for the purpose of building up this church, doesn't it fill you with just eagerness and anticipation? What would it look like? Not only that, what would it look like in your life? What would the joy factor be as we looked at a few weeks ago to serve others? Then what would it look like to have others, 110 or 200 people or whatever, serving you? All right, this isn't one way. This is back at you. We've got beautiful guys like Barnabas in the book of Acts, whose name means son of encouragement. Could you imagine having a son of encouragement going around the church? Just like, hey man, how are you doing? I love you. I've been praying for you. How are you doing with that struggle? Man, press on, press on. Praying for you at school this week. Praying with that, for that coworker. Man, press on, open your mouth, tell them about Jesus. You know, just like, who is this guy? But how neat that, Barnabas is there for you too, to be encouraged, to be refreshed. Back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. All of this, you know, the, the work of the ministry that the saints do, verse 13, it's till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we would no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I know there's a lot there. I mean, that's like a 10-point sermon just in Ephesians 4 in and of itself. But let's just touch real quickly on four things there. There's an importance, an importance in the connection to the head as we're the body of Christ. Man, we serve each other to just press each other closer and closer in connection to the head. If you're not connected to the head as the body, you've got paralysis. You've got epileptic seizure type things going on. So we press each other to maturity, to right doctrine, to closeness to the head. Any break between the head and the body can be summed up in one thing, sin. Wherever there's sin, there's a disconnect. There's strokes, there's paralysis. And so we press each other into connection to the head 
Another thing to note there is you look at little phrases like every joint supplies something. Every part does its share. In our obligation to the local church, everyone can't do everything. But everyone must do something. To be part of the New Testament church. We're talking a biblical church here. Something else to quickly touch on in the Ephesians 4 passage is that growth and edification of the body is the goal. Maturity is the goal. Until we all are, are matured and measure to the stature of the fullness of Christ, Paul says. And finally, something to see there is that it must be done in love. You see that at, the, at verse 17 there? Edifying, the edifying of the church, the building up of the church in love. That is one of the key principles, the key reasons for the gifts is that the church would be built up. Not the building, that's not what we're speaking of. The people within the church, that they would be encouraged, point towards Christ, develop maturity, built up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12 He writes to a group of people that are zealous for spiritual gifts. And he says, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. And so today as we're like, wow, Rory's been really talking about spiritual gifts. And and I think I know what mine are. And I just want to use them, Lord. Or I don't even know what my gifts are. I need to like spend time with the Lord asking him. and, And Lord, show me. Hey, let it be for the edification of the church. Building up the church that you seek to excel. Maturity of one another. If there's no maturity, there's problems. Even in the physical life, if we don't see maturity in in each other's lives, we know that there's a problem, whether it's health or physical issue. It's very sad. And so we press in and we try to help people. We try to grow people up. And when we try to grow people up, sometimes our authority is challenged. Sometimes there's misunderstandings, you know, as we try to teach and grow one another up. Sometimes people pack their bags and head for the hills when we try to mature them and grow them up. But it's all, it's all part of the plan. Acts chapter 9 verse 31 is a beautiful passage that says that the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So what happens when there's edification in the church? What happens when people are built up into maturity by each other, by the saints, doing the work of the ministry, using their gifts? What happens? Do you get it? Do you see it? Edification equals multiplication. Edification equals multiplication. To quote Mark Driscoll and Gary Preshears from their book, Vintage Church, They say the Bible is clear that every Christian is a part of the larger church body and is expected to participate in the life of a local church with the gifts God has given him or her. This is so God may be glorified and so his people may be built up through service to one another. It is therefore a sin for someone who claims to be a Christian not to be actively loving his or her Christian brothers and sisters and seeking to build up the church as faithful ministers of the church. It's okay to be confronted. It's good. It means God loves you. God chastens those whom he loves. He corrects every son that he cherishes. And perhaps today you're confronted with a level of sin in your life of not using your gifts to build up the church, to bring brothers and sisters into maturity. We use these gifts, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, we use them as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You guys know the parable in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 29, for the sake of time, I'm going to Rory paraphrase it, so don't read up there. <laughs> you, know, you know the story of the master that was going to a far country. And so he left his stewards. He entrusted his servants with, you know, one guy got five denarii. One guy got two denarii. And one servant got one denarii. And and he entrusted them with this amount of money, with these resources, with these talents, the scripture says. And as he went away, he expected them to use those talents, to invest. 
and, and, to, and to use and to expand his kingdom. And when he came back from his long journey, the, the man with five talents given to him came and said, I've been a good steward. I, here was five you gave me. I invested. I got five more out of the deal. Here's ten. And, and that man was blessed. You're a good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that I've prepared for you. Then the two, two talent servant came. I was given two talents. I went and invested. I've got two more now. Here's four. I've multiplied your kingdom. Blessed are you. Enter into the joy. But then the guy that was given one, and perhaps he felt he, was, he deserved better. Maybe this is, this is the obscure amount of talent. He went and hid it. And when he came, he said, man, I know that, that you're always gathering from places that you're not sowing. And I just don't think that's fair. And so I took that talent you gave me and I hid it. I was afraid. I didn't know what to do, but I didn't do anything with it. Here's your one talent back. And the Lord says, you are a wicked and lazy servant. And there is, there's judgment that happens. To, to whom much is given, much is required. There's accountability there with those talents. It's the same with our gifts, the gifts that God has given, that he's distributed just as he willed, just as he determined, so that the church would be built up in every member ministry, edified. And if you're going to take the talent or talents that God has given you and just hide them under a bushel, or as one man said, wipe them up into a napkin, I don't know what he meant by that, but roll them up into a napkin, like a piece of gristle or something that you didn't want. Sorry, visual pictures, not always good. You know, you just kind of push that aside. Guys, you're, you're going to be held accountable on that day. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I want to hear those words of the Lord. You've been a good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy that I've prepared for you. A Christian that has no passion to serve. One man said, at the very least, we have a contradiction in terms. Christians, by the Holy Spirit working in them, will have a passion to serve each other. Charles Spurgeon said, the vigorous, healthy Christian must serve the Lord, I, and serve him with gladness too, because he is then obeying the instincts of his nature, and God has made our instincts, when we follow them, to be pleasurable. The instincts of the new nature, when we follow them out, lead us into service, and consequently there comes into our soul a pleasure unknown to those who are not partakers of the regenerate nature. I have said that to the Christian, it is a delight to serve God, and so it is, because it exercises in him those powers which yield delight. Believing service is not the performance of work naturally irksome to us, which we, being ourselves, um, which we bring ourselves by effort, but Christian services is the doing of sacred duties, which to our new natures are congenial occupations, things in which we take delight. The service of God is not to him an employment to which he would escape if he could. No, he feels it to be an intense delight and only wishes that he could be more perfectly taken up with it. It's not a have-to thing. It's a get-to thing. And anybody that's been involved in ministry in any capacity find, has found such joy in serving Jesus as you're reliant on the strength that he provides, 1 Peter 4.11 says, and we can resound with an amen there to what Spurgeon says. If you've been made a steward of something that cost God his life and his son, there is such joy in serving such a valuable industry. When we demean the gifts, or downplay the gifts, or neglect the gifts, it's so wrong-headed. As 2 Corinthians 4.2 says, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. In closing, just going back to 1 Peter 4.10, we use these gifts as stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's all in response to God's gifts. Ephesians 4.8 says that when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. We look at the life, we look at the death, we look at the resurrection of Jesus. That's all pictures of his grace. And when he came up out of the belly of the earth, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. 
And as we've been given gifts, we are stewards of that manifold grace of God. I like that the word manifold is used. It, it means multicolored and rich in variety. As Warren Wearsby said, God's grace can meet any need or match any color that might come into life. God's grace is a kaleidoscope of beauty. And we get to be good stewards of that. In closing, and we can have the worship team come back up. We see here in 1 Peter chapter 4, two types of gifts. In, in chapter 4, verse 11, it says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. So that's one type of gift, a verbal type of gifting. That means that might be teaching, preaching, evangelism, exhortation, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophesying, words of knowledge, the verbal gifts. And it says, when you have that gift set, speak it as you're speaking the very word of God. That takes time. That takes study. That takes prayer. That takes being on your face. Lord, I've done all the work. I've parsed all the verbs. I know what the nouns are. I know what it's speaking towards. But here we are at this high school group, or here we are in this children's ministry, third through fifth grade class, or here we are with the adults on a Sunday morning. What would you say to these people? And Alistair Begg says, as you're preparing for your verbal gift of teaching, he says, man, Write yourself clear, read yourself full, and pray yourself keen. Pray yourself keen to what God would say to these people. And then when you speak it, you speak with the power and the authority of God. The other types of gifts are those that are serving or practical gifts. It says there in 1 Peter 4.11, If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies. So often we think that the serving gifts the getting your hands dirty gifts, those type, the sweat on your brow gifts, that we don't need the Holy Spirit for that. We can do that on my own strength. It's the verbal gifts. It's the preaching or the getting up in front of people. You need the Holy. No, you need the strength that God supplies for the tightening of the nut underneath the sink, you know, or the fixing the window or the storm drain on the individual's house within the church. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, the strength that he provides and it's all with the end, as you look at the end of verse 11, that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. When we realize that is our end of using our gifts, the glory of God, it doesn't matter if people appreciate it when we serve them. In fact, one man once said, I've remembered it from school of ministry, you know you're a real servant depending upon how you react when people treat you like one. You're serving somebody at a, you know, at a church banquet and they're like, get over here and you know, take my plate away and give me some more dessert. You know? and, and I've seen that a lot at the Oasis, actually. People just treat the workers, they're like slaves and they can lash out in wrath. But you know what? When you serve at the Oasis, you do it with the strength that God provides, knowing that he's gonna get glory, whether people appreciate your gift set or not. In a couple weeks, we're gonna find that there's no such thing as a perfect pastor a perfect elder. You probably already learned that there's no perfect churches or perfect people. You go over to First Baptist, the Ascent, the Community Church, the Christian Church, Calvary. No one's perfect. No perfect pastors. No. Knowing that, are you committed to Calvary Chapel of Crook County? Knowing that you're committed now, have you discovered your function? How God would have you function here? Knowing your function, are you in your place to fulfill your function? Are you part of the 80% that's okay with the 20% doing everything? Man, today you could just pray, Lord, bring me back, bring me over to the 20%. And I trust that, Lord, you'll move enough people over to the 20% that eventually the minority will become the majority and the majority will become the minority. In this church, that is our desire. That's the Holy Spirit's desire. In light of God's grace, don't you love it, worship team, when I call you up here for 25 minutes? Last sentence, okay? Chad's all, are you going to be done? In light of God's grace, are you fulfilling your duty, your privilege, your responsibility, your obligation to this local body in using the gift or gift sets that he has given you? As each one has received a gift, minister it as a good steward 
of the variety of colors of God's grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to respond to you as we take communion. We think of you in your life, in your death, even in your resurrection. When your body was broken, your blood was spilled, when you lay in the ground for three days and you rose again, the gospel tells us you gave gifts to men. And so, Lord, in this church, we want to use the gifts that the gospel provides, not in begrudging obligation, but in obligation nonetheless. May we do it in wonderful response to your gospel, the good news. We love you, Jesus, and worship you. Give us gifts. Pour out your spirit on us afresh today. Lord, those that need verbal gifts that you would determine, give them those verbal gifts today. Those that are more of a help, practical servant type, Lord, you know Give them the gifts that would just propel this body and edify this body. Move us into the stewardship of those gifts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close in worship. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.